My brother Joe gives me a hard time. He says, tonight he walks in, he says, I see the big Bible, so it must be your teaching tonight. <laughs> the reason why this Bible is big, not because it's the, the type is that large. <laughs> That's what Joe thinks. Uh, my daughter gave me this Bible a number of years ago. I absolutely love this Bible. It's a parallel Bible. So it has four different translations in the Bible side by side. So you'll also notice that I probably flip the pages faster or more frequently than everybody else because I only have one column. So I have the King James, which I barely ever read, the New King James, which I read on Sunday because, well, because we read the New King James here. Um, the NIV I read because after I was saved, that was the first Bible that I was given. Uh, and I was amazed because my, I grew up in a tradition where it was all King James. And I was amazed that I could read it and understand it. And then my favorite in this Bible is the New Living Translation, which, uh, Dave, you know, on Tuesday night, I read that and I, I get a lot out of the New Living Translation. So that's why it's so big, Joe. Now, we're going to start tonight with a pop quiz. And the first thing you're going to say is, I didn't know we were going to have a quiz or I would have studied, right? But we got a pop quiz tonight. Uh, this is to see how, how uh, aware you are of the happenings of the earth. Does anybody know when Passover starts? And I know you know, because we talked about it. What's that? The other day, Lamar says the other day. Ian is absolutely right. It starts tonight. In actuality, it already started because it started at... A sundown in Israel, right? So since they're a little bit ahead of us, it probably started, I think somebody told me that actually East Coast times, it's, it's actually started at 11 a.m. Uh, because it started at sundown in Israel. But Passover started tonight. Why, well, why, why is that so interesting and so important? Guess what chapter 13 is about? The first part is all about the Passover. And it struck me, maybe this means more to me than it does to you, but honestly, uh, we did not look at this. Jeremy didn't look at when we're going to start Exodus and how we're going to work this out so that we actually hit chapter 13 on the day that Passover starts. Um, and maybe it's just a coincidence, though I'm not a big believer in coincidence. Maybe it's a coincidence that it just turns out that last week in chapter 12, we started to talk about why Passover. And in chapter 13, God actually lays out the plan for Passover, on the day that Passover starts. I just think that's really neat. Again, it maybe means more to me than it does to you. Uh, just interesting how the timing works out. The other thing I want to talk about in this uh, long introduction before we start to read, sorry. Anybody have any, the second pop quiz, anybody have any idea the distance between Egypt and the edge of Israel, the promised land? If you were going to walk that, how long would it take you to walk that? Anybody have any idea? How did you know that? 10 to 12 days, depending upon your gait. Someone with me and Matthew with longer legs would probably do it in 10 days. Uh, somebody with shorter legs maybe would take up to 12 days. I don't know. How, you, how did you really know that or just guess? Well, oh, okay, somebody, somebody stole all my thunder. Okay, then do you know this? How long did it actually take the children of to get from Egypt to get to the promised land, to the edge of it. 40 no, actually it didn't take 40 years. It took just a year and they would have gone in, but remember they, they uh, trick, trick question. Trick question. They, because, because of their unbelief, they then spent another 40 years. But 
the actual uh, walking that they took initially to get to the edge to where the uh, spies went in to look actually took them a year. Why? Why? Why did that happen? Any idea why God did that? Why, why did he take a 10 to 12 day journey and turn it into a year? Because it was one thing for God to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's one thing. But then God had to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. And so there was a whole bunch of lessons and things they had to learn in their journey along the way to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And part of the reason I want to mention that is because part of what I want to talk about tonight is are we not on a journey to the promised land? Right? And God could have worked it out so that the day we were saved, like the, the thief on the cross, that same day we were in the promised land, we were in heaven, right? But he didn't. We're on a journey because it's one thing that God took us out of the world. Now God has to take the world out of Steve. And unfortunately for me, I'm not a very quick learner, and I seem to do some really idiotic things from time to time. If you ask my wife, she would say that's more frequently than you want to admit, Steve. But God needs to take the world out of us. God needs to take the world uh, uh, out of me to prepare me to enter into heaven or into the promised land. So, don't be discouraged, don't be disoriented, don't be defeated by the process that, that we're going through, by the trials, the things that happen in life, because God is just simply preparing us for heaven. And that is something that I'm pretty excited about, uh, that I know that one day I'm going to be there. And it's not the streets of gold that I'm excited about. It'll be neat to see. It's not the tree of life that I'm interested in eating from. That's pretty neat also. Um, it's not seeing my parents and loved ones in heaven that I'm most excited about, though that's obviously going to be a tremendous joy. But the day I walk into heaven and I realize that there is my Savior who suffered and died for me so that I could be there, that's overwhelming. And I, I think I've told you guys a, a number of times um, uh, I have a friend of mine, Lynn, who lives in Georgia now. Um, but I always say, and I think this is really going to be true. Um, the moment I walk into heaven and I see my Lord, I'm going to be so overwhelmed that I'm going to fall flat on my face at the entrance to heaven and likely be there for, if, if there were time in heaven, 10,000 years or, or more uh, before I can even get over the fact that I'm there and he's there with me, and I'm there with him, right? Now, my friend Lynn, uh, quotes on the friend part, my friend Lynn says that's great because when I get to heaven, I'm going to need a doormat, and since you're laying there anyway, I'll just wipe my shoes off on your back and go on in. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> okay, so that's part of what I want to see in, in uh, chapter 13 is the fact that God is preparing the children of Israel and it's really analogy of how God is preparing us uh, for heaven. So let's look at chapter 13 and I'm gonna, we're going to read uh, verses 1 and 2. Now, Joe, I do get confused sometimes and I 
read from the New Living Translation when I know here on the screen it's going to be the New King James. So if the words are a little different, you'll understand. I just got confused for a second. So verse 1 of Exodus 13 starts by saying, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. So what had happened is the children of Israel, once they left Egypt, um, we haven't gotten to the part yet where Pharaoh tries to get them back. We're not to that yet, right? So they got out of Egypt. They traveled about a day, day and a half's worth of, of distance and came to a place, and I'm not quite sure why people often refer to it as Tent Town, um, but the real name of the place is Sokoth, uh, is where they, they stopped. Uh, and so they, they rested there at Sokoth, and they're about ready to, to move on. But before they move on, God has a couple of lessons that he wants to teach them. And the first thing he wants to talk about is the fact that the firstborn is set apart, or sanctified is the word that's used here, or the New Living Translation says dedicated. Uh, so pick whatever uh, is best for you. For some reason, the word dedicated makes more sense to me. So what he's saying is, the firstborn of everything, so the firstborn lamb, is dedicated to the Lord. It's sacrificed to the Lord. The firstborn oxen uh, or donkey uh, or male is dedicated to the Lord. Um, Part of of what God was trying to set up that later got changed because of their their, uh, disobedience, but was that the firstborn son was the priest of the family. Um, But the firstborn is going to be dedicated. And in effect, what God is saying is, you know, I brought you out of Egypt. And when we came out of Egypt, when I took you out of Egypt, the firstborn of everything, animal, man, uh, the firstborn was all killed. When I brought you out, you, the children of Israel, are my firstborn. And I want to dedicate you as firstborn to me, and as a symbol of that, I want you to dedicate the firstborn um, of your animals and, and your, your beings uh, back to be dedicated, and in some cases, uh, um, it was going to be sacrificed. And like I said, that was the initial intent of God, but this got ruined. And we all know that story, right? We all know the story. The children of Israel, this is a little bit later on uh, in, in the time. Um, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and he's gone for 40 days. And that's such a tremendous amount of time that the children of Israel lost faith in this whole thing, right? Because Moses isn't there, they lost faith, and so they decided they were going to take all of their gold, their rings and whatever, and they uh, gave it to Aaron, and he melted it down and fashioned it into a calf, and they worshipped this calf uh, as their god, kind of like they saw the Egyptians do uh, when they they worshipped the calf. Uh, Moses came back down again um, and destroyed it, uh, in the process, I, if you remember, he destroyed the first copy of uh, the Ten Commandments and had to go get back and, and get another set later on. But in that process, there was only one tribe that repented right away and, and changed their ways, and that was the tribe of Levi. And so then God dedicated at that point, and throughout history and even today, the Levi's 
are the ones that are the priest. But God's initial intent was that the firstborn son was going to be the, the priest of, of his family. Let's pick up uh, verses 3 to, through uh, 10 back in chapter 13. Verse 3 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hephites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Now, when did this happen? Obviously, back in before Christ. Uh, roughly, probably uh, 5,000 years ago. And even to this day, I'm going to say, all Jews. Uh, when I lived in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, I lived next door uh, to a Jewish couple um, that didn't, weren't really practicing Jews. I don't believe they ever went to a synagogue. Um, I don't think they probably ever read uh, the Torah or uh, practiced anything uh, Jewish except for Hanukkah, of course, um, and Passover. But they were very dedicated uh, in Passover. And if you know, if you have any Jewish friends, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, who has since passed, my mother-in-law had a number of Jewish friends who hired her every year to go in and clean their house to make sure that there was no leaven. So particularly in the kitchen, um, she went to great extent to make sure that there was no leaven because of what is read, what we read right here, what, what's listed is that not only for those seven days, which started tonight, not only you're not going to eat any leavened bread at all, but you're going to make sure that your house is completely void of leaven in honor of the Passover, because remember, which we read last week in 12, that uh, when they left uh, Egypt, they had already prepared unleavened bread, and that's what they took with them, and that's what they, they had to, uh, to eat. Isn't it interesting that God set up this memorial that would happen year after year after year after year for the children of Israel, for the Jews, even today, to remember the Passover. He specifically said, which is very, uh, very true of what they do, um, is they use that as a memorial to go back to their children and say, let me tell you a story about what happened back in the days of Moses when we were rescued from Egypt and God through, through absolute miracles brought us out of Egypt. 
And not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Who here doesn't know what Passover is, right? We know what Passover is. Not because we're Jewish, but because we know what God did for his children to get them out of bondage. And all of us immediately, when we realize that, also stop, at least I do, and I think all of us do, stop to realize that's exactly what God did for me. Right? I was in bondage. I couldn't free myself. I knew that the things that I was involved in were absolute wrong and wanted to, to change, but just couldn't. And so there was a Passover in my heart, in my life too, when God took me out of that bondage. And God has this set up as a memorial year after year after year. We were talking on Sunday a little bit about, uh, not, not in the church service, but uh, around the church service, about routines. Uh, and I'm a very habitual person. Um, um, it drives my wife crazy because she's not so much. But, you know, I do things at a specific time during the day. I do specific time, things uh, uh, on a given day, like Wednesday night, Tuesday night men's study. I, I, I'm a very habitual person. And if I get off that routine, I, I just feel disoriented. It's like, wow, what, what's wrong here, right? And isn't it interesting? It seems to me, not just because I'm that way, but it seems to me that God is a God of routines, that he sets up some things that are routine that happen over and over and over again. And it seems like he does that on purpose so that we remember, right? Easter happens year after year after year. Why do we remember Easter? It's not that we've forgotten that, that Christ died on the cross for our sins the other 364 days a year, but it's a memorial for us where we can sit down and come to a service and stop and realize, wow, what a tremendous sacrifice was made for me. Why do we do a sunrise service? It's not because we like going out by the ocean with the wind blowing off the ocean. Uh, the temperature, by the way, that morning says right now is going to be about 28 degrees. That'll be at Newmarket. Get out to the beach it, with the wind coming in off the ocean, it's going to be a little bit chillier. So <laughs> man up. So it's not that we're going out because we really like the weather. It's not going to go out because uh, we necessarily like the scenery, though it is pretty when the sun does come up over the ocean, uh, if it's a clear sky, uh, or there's not a whole lot of clouds. It really is, is beautiful. But why do we do that? Well, we do that for remembrance of that morning. And can you just imagine, can, can you imagine what, what the ladies felt, or for that matter, even later on, Peter and John, what they felt when they went there at sunrise and saw the tomb open, the angel talked to him and said, basically, I don't know why you're looking for him here. He's not here. This is a grave site. He's not dead. He's already risen. Can you imagine what they went through? And so the sunrise service is a great opportunity for me, at least, year after year after year. It's not that I've forgotten it the rest of the year, but I can go and remember what happened that morning, and I can stop again and think about what the disciples and what the ladies must have felt like when it first dawned on them, no pun intended, but it dawned on them, he really did rise again. He really is alive. He's not here, right? Uh, I think 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll get into heaven and find out that, uh, that I'm wrong and that God's not such a God of routine. But certainly everything I see in the Bible leads me to believe that God is very much a God of routine. Um, so going back over what, what we read, seven days they're eating unleavened bread. So if you were in uh, Israel right now, if you were in a Jewish home, you'd find out that all of their meals are unleavened bread. They've cleaned the house out. There's no yeast in the house at all. All the leaven is gone. Um, and for seven days, they're eating their meals with unleavened bread. And then on the seventh day, which is the 13th, I think, uh, if I remember right, um, is the Passover meal. Uh, what is a little different than what we call the Seder meal, but it's, uh, our Seder meal is similar to their Passover meal. But they had this tremendous Passover meal on the seventh day, a feast, if you will, uh, kind of like maybe equivalent to what we do on Thanksgiving, although a little bit more uh, uh, detailed and very ritual on the things that they do. Uh, uh, but they do that year after year after year. The Jewish people are doing it to remember the Passover. Um, we can think about it not only for the Passover, for when the Jews was taken out of Egypt, but also for, for what happened to us. And it's a great opportunity for them and a great opportunity for us to tell others about what's going on. Um, I work part-time at Target. Interesting enough, there's only two days out of the whole year that Target closes. And I'm kind of surprised that they haven't gotten the bug for more, more sales and eliminated those. They close on Christmas, and they close on Easter. And I find it a great opportunity. I uh, had a conversation with a, with a young lady this, this morning. Uh, she was saying, you know, I don't know if, uh, if they pay us or not. Turns out they do pay us for, for that day off. But she was a little concerned about her pay. Uh, well, we're closing on Easter. And I said, yeah, but the great thing is on Easter, you get the opportunity uh, to go to church. And when you go to church, you get the opportunity to stop and reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died and on Easter rose again for your sins, right? It's a great opportunity for us to be able to take that routine thing and work it into a conversation to tell others about Christ. Same thing with, uh, with Christmas and, of course, a, a lot of our, our holidays. Uh, but nevertheless, they use it as a great opportunity, the, the Jews use that as a great opportunity, uh, which is kind of neat, which we've lost, right, as, as Americans, we've definitely lost, for the dad to be able to share with the children during that Passover meal and literally tell them the whole story. I don't know whether they go back and read from the Torah or not. I would think that they would want to, but whether they do or not, I don't know. But it's a great opportunity for them to take something that's so very rich in their history and implant that uh, in on their children. Um, great, great opportunity. Look, I'm actually going to grab it. We're, we were talking about this, that the fact that uh, if I'm not careful, I do the same thing that he does. I'll grab the, the uh, cup, keep on talking, and then set it back down without taking a drink. <laughs> yeah, the other thing, talking about rituals that I'm really trying to overcome tonight. Um, I went back and looked at one of the Sunday services I did. And I must have a thousand times put my hand in my left pocket. Why, I don't know. 
But watching it drove me crazy. So if you notice, I'm waving my arms around, which will now drive me crazy when I go look at this. <laughs> the reason why I'm doing this is because I don't want to put my hand in my left pocket anymore. We're done with that. <laughs> Let's pick up on verse uh, 11. We're going to read 11 through 16. So this is after he talked about the fact that this is going to be a ritual, an ordinance that's uh, done uh, in its season every year at, at this time. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you. We all know that the father he's referring to started with Abraham. That you shall be set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, the very firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the males, the very firstborn males, shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men among your, uh, among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you can say to him by the strength of the hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open the womb, but all the firstborns of my sons I redeem. I'll bet you the firstborn sons was glad to hear that part. It shall be a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So not only in this chapter did the Lord set up Passover, but he also set up something very important as a remembrance of all those firstborns that died in Egypt. Right? Remember back in chapter 12 last week, um, what a what a catastrophe it was in Egypt. Can you imagine uh, the agony that the people of Egypt must have went through? Um, not only that their, all their firstborn sons died, but also all their firstborn lambs, uh, firstborn goats, their firstborn donkeys, their firstborn uh, of animals of every type died on that same night. And if you remember back in, in uh, chapter 12, it was very specific. It happened at midnight, not 1201, not 1159, but at midnight, all of this death occurred. I, what a catastrophe. I mean, I, can you, I mean look what we went through with, with COVID in comparison. COVID was nothing in comparison to what happened to Egypt, right? Uh, can you just imagine what, what these people went through? And not only that day, but I'm sure that entire first year, and then, just like uh, my wife and I uh, talk about this, uh, uh, her mom's been gone quite a little while now, and she wanted to know, is it ever going to get better? Well, it turns out it never really gets better. It's just less horrible than it was before, right? But every year on that day, we remember, just like when my parents died, uh, we remember. Same thing with those people in Egypt. Can you imagine... It got a little easier maybe year after year, but can you imagine the first anniversary, the second anniversary, uh, to think about 
My son, you know, maybe he was five years old, maybe he was 12 years old, maybe he was 15, maybe he was 21. But my son died on that day. And my favorite horse and my favorite cow and so on and so forth, uh, just to, to think back all that. And so God set up another remembrance, not only the Passover, think of the unleavened bread, but he also set up a remembrance for the Jews. So every firstborn calf, right, the firstborn calf, uh, and how many calves are, uh, I mean, depending on how many cows you got, I mean, there could be multiple firstborn calves, is sacrificed. And your kids say to you, Dad, why are you doing that? I mean, that's a great animal there. Just think of what the heritage could be if you let that animal grow and, and bear uh, more calves. Dad, why are we killing that one? It's a great opportunity for Dad to say, Son, daughter, let me tell you about a day that happened years ago in the days of Moses. Now, God made provision. Isn't this really uh, just like God? He made provision to say, you know, the donkey is a work animal. And so I don't want to take and kill the work animal. So in that particular case, if you want to, and notice they didn't have to, but if you want to, you can take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb in place of the donkey. And of course, like I said, uh, aren't the firstborn sons thrilled about this? Son, because you're the firstborn, I don't have to sacrifice you, but we need to sacrifice a lamb uh, in your place. Um, so God set all that up um, as a way, again, to remember uh, what, what happened. Verse 17. Verse 17 is a little interesting. Um, in verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was very near. For God said, Lest uh, perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. So God looked ahead. Um, as he does for us, God looked ahead and said, You know, the straightest path from Egypt to Sukkoth is, if I go in a straight line, goes right through the land of the Philistines. And if I take the children of Israel straight through the, the, uh, uh, through the land of the Philistines, we're going to end up with a war. And they've only been out of Egypt a couple of days. They end up with a war. They're likely going to get discouraged, turn around and go back to, to Egypt because they don't really want to put up with that, that war. So God didn't take them on a straight path. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever feel like sometimes you're on a merry-go-round and we just can't quite to seem to get to where we want to go? Did you ever feel like frustrated with God saying, God, this is what we want to accomplish. Let's just get over it and get there and get it done. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> last three years. Um, certainly all of us have felt that way from time to time. Uh, whether maybe you're a young man or a young lady and uh, you'd like to, to be married. And you wonder, well, God, you got somebody for me. Why don't you bring her, him or her to me? Let's get this over with. We'll get married and move on. I was talking to a young guy last night. He and his wife would love to have a family. Um, he, said, he said that the doctor told him the probability is uh, 0.0002% that they'll conceive children. I think that's pretty close to non-existent. Uh, but they'd like, like to have a family. 
Um, and they said, or since we may not be able to conceive our own, it seems like uh, we'd like to adopt and maybe bring in foster children and so on. But the right situation hasn't come around. And he was not frustrated, but said, you know, I really would like to get on with this. I mean, every day we're getting older, it becomes harder and harder and harder uh, to, to be a parent as you get older and older. Um, we'd like to get on with this. But the situation just doesn't, hasn't happened yet, right? And I bet you can fill in the blank in your own life that it's sometimes it seems like God takes us on this path uh, where we can see where we need to go. And we just want to be there right then and there. You know, it's no secret, if you're here for uh, Vision Sunday, you know uh, that we're still looking forward to uh, the, the day that uh, this congregation gets large enough, and we're getting close, to where maybe we spawn off another congregation someplace. Um, we'd like to see this happen. And because I'm kind of an impatient sort of person, it's like, well, God, let's get this laid out. Come on, let's get the plan in place here. Tell us when it's going to happen, where it's going to go, who the people are going to be. We need to have a pastor, so let's get that pastor in place. Let's get this over and done with, right? Uh, but sometimes that's not God's way. And just like you, the children of Israel, why isn't it God's way? Well, because he can look ahead and realize sometimes that if, we were, if he took us and charged us right into things, that we would get discouraged and turn back. And so sometimes that merry-go-round is just, in fact, what God is trying to accomplish to grow us up, to get us a, a more experience maybe, to maybe get the right situation in place. Uh, maybe he knows we're just not ready for whatever it is that we want the next step in our life. Uh, and so sometimes God uh, takes it that, that way uh, instead of taking us straight there because he can see what we can't see and he knows that Steve is very impatient. And sometimes, and I say this very quietly, I really don't want God to hear this. He knows that sometimes Steve needs to learn patience. No, I'm not asking for more patience. Uh, but sometimes he knows that, right? And so sometimes he does that on purpose uh, to, to grow me up, to give me patience, uh, to, to help me along the way. He knows the disappointments that are ahead of us. He knows the struggles that are ahead of us. He knows the trials that are ahead of us. And so he knows how to prepare us, how to prepare me for those things that are going to happen in my future uh, and get me in a position where, one, I can handle it uh, and uh, that I'm completely prepared for it. And oftentimes, that's not a straight line. So isn't it interesting in here that God comes right out and says, um, in his word, he says, I didn't take them the fastest route, right? I wasn't a GPS. I didn't look at it and say, that's the way to go. I took them the way that was best for them, not necessarily what was the easiest, what was the straightest, what was the quickest a way to get there. Let's go on to verses 18 and 19. Still obviously in chapter 13. Verse 18 says, So God led the, children, the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. That's a miracle in itself, right? That many people and they went in orderly ranks, that is a miracle. We, we don't necessarily see that 
uh, and recognize that, but that's a miracle. Um, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. I find this amazing about uh, the Jewish culture in general. Um, I had a good friend of mine, I, I did a bunch of travel with him, uh, and he is a, a very devout Jew. He has since, he at that point lived in California, uh, he has since left California and gone to Israel. But I was really amazed at spending time with him, um, the traditions that he kept, whether it was just him or I, or whether there were other Jewish people around, it didn't matter. There were traditions that he kept, and there was a tremendous knowledge that he had of his forefathers. Um, I know my grandfather's name, and I know my great-grandfather's name. And I don't know anybody else beyond that. He knew, all the, not all the way back, but he knew a tremendous amount of heritage, and he could... Uh, he could, he was, he's of the tribe of uh, Levi. He could trace somewhat through all the way back to his lineage, um, who he was, where he came from, so on and so forth. And I'm amazed uh, at the Jewish culture that that's important. That's what's happening here. Any idea? We all, I think we all know the story that before Joseph died, Joseph said, um, I live right now in Egypt. I work in Egypt. And I can see that I'm going to die in Egypt. But you know what? I'm not of Egypt. I'm not. I'm of the children of Israel. And I want to go to the promised land, even though I'm dead. Right? So he said to him, when I die, whenever you leave and go to the promised land, take my bones with you. So here's another pop quiz. How long was it from the time when Joseph said that until the children of Israel left Egypt? You can guess close, close to 430 years. It was actually from the time that Joseph said that until they left was 360 years. Um, so they were, they were there longer, obviously, than, I mean, he was alive with them, was there. But I don't care, 360, 400, 430 years, it doesn't really matter. Would you have any idea what one of your ancestors said, let's make it a round number, 400 years ago? I don't even know their name. I don't even know their name, let alone something that they said. And yet here, somehow, they kept that promise alive for roughly 400 years. Yeah, that they said, Joseph, we understand that, and we're going to remember. And so I'm going to tell my kids, my kids are going to tell their kids, and my, their kids are going to tell their kids, so on and so forth, all the way down, so that when we leave, we really remember to grab your bones and take you with us. I'd like to have been there to see that. I, I don't know where he was buried or, or whatever, but it's almost a humorous thing to stop and think about, right? Uh, we're, we're ready to go. Moses has said, as soon as um, midnight strikes and all these people die, we're going to get up and leave, right? We, we're going to go in haste. You, we want to eat standing up with your shoes on, ready to go, unleavened bread, so on and so forth. And someone said, oh, what about the bones? And they went and got the bones to take the bones. Maybe it's just my sixth sense of humor, but somehow I think that's just a little bit humorous that in the middle of it, somebody said, oh yeah, Joseph's bones. Where, where did we put those? <laughs> but nevertheless, someone knew and they took him with it. 
Isn't that a special promise for us? There's a promise hidden in there for us, right? Yeah, we live in this world. Yeah, we work in this world. And probably, unless, unless the uh, uh, rapture happens, which right now would be great, but unless the rapture happens, we will die in this world. But we're not of this world, right? We are not of this world. And one day our bones, though I don't know what, that's, what our body's going to look like, but one day our bones are going to leave this world uh, and, and go up in, into heaven. That's something to get excited about. Now, if you want to, you probably know this passage, but if you want to go with me, uh, go, go to 1 Thessalonians. We want to go to chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. So that's pretty close to the back end of the Bible. It's pretty ways back there. Thessalonians chapter 4. And we want to look at verses 16 to 17. And this is, for me, one of the greatest promises that, that we have. Um, but it ties right into what Joseph said. So verse 16, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. I don't know what that's like, but it sounds big, right? And the trumpet of the Lord. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus... We shall always be with the Lord. Um, you know, 18, maybe I should have put that, therefore comfort one another with these words. Isn't that a great promise? Just like with Joseph, we live in this world. We work in this world. Probability, a good probability, we're going to die in this world. But we ain't staying here, right? When the Lord comes back, Chad, if you're listening, when the rapture happens... <laughs> Sorry, Chad, sorry. When the rapture happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. And if we happen to be still alive, we'll be raptured right next behind him and taken up in the air. Now, I've said this before. So you, this is an old joke to you guys now. But I, I believe that I'm one of the few people that's going to be raptured twice, Justin. Because as soon as I realize that my feet are leaving the ground, I'm going to get so excited I'm going to have a heart attack and die. He's going to have to resurrect me and rapture me again. <laughs> but think about that. But think about that. Isn't that what happened with Joseph? He wasn't of, of Egypt. He was of the promised land. And they took his bones and took him up and eventually, after 41 years, buried him again in the promised land um, because that was where his home was at. And the same thing is going to happen with us, as it says there in 1 Thessalonians, that we are not staying here. When the rapture happens, we're out of here. We're going to heaven in whatever our resurrected body looks like. Amen. Somehow I was more excited about that than maybe you guys were. No, no. <laughs> Verse 20, back in Exodus 13, verse 20. So they took their, their journey from Sukkoth and, camp, uh, and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. I, I don't know what the wilderness was really like. Most places that I read about the wilderness, not only in this day, but in all the wilderness, it wasn't uh, like the scrublands in, in northern uh, New Hampshire, right, where there's uh, trees and shrubs and uh, uh, briars and, and uh, all sorts of stuff that grab a hold of you. It was desert. 
So the Lord took him from Sukkoth to Etham, which was at the edge of the desert. Why would he do that? Why would he take them from a place where at Sukkoth uh, there was uh, trees and grass and shade and I'm assuming water and so on and so forth. I mean, they, they literally placed their tents there, which is why sometimes people refer to it as uh, Tent City. He took them from there and took them to the edge of the desert. Did God ever do that to you? God ever take you from a really high place spiritually and you get to a place where it just feels sometimes like it's so dry. Um, and, and like you're really struggling to, to connect with the Lord. And, and you're just really wondering what's, what's going on. That ever happened to you? It happens to me. Um, but why does, why does God do that? Well, in this, pla- this case, um, the name of the place tells the whole story. You know what Etham means? With them. So what God's saying is, hey, I took you to a dry place, right? Pretty tough out here uh, where I took you to. But the good news is, I'm with you while you're here. What a comfort that is to me. Um, The old folks, you don't hear this term so much anymore, but the the old folks, so I'm talking about my uh, father and grandfather, uh, would talk about times when they would pray and their prayers seemed to bounce off a, a brass ceiling. Uh, and all they were trying to say was, sometimes I, I pray, and I pray so hard, but I'm not even sure I'm getting through uh, to, to God. And so it gets to be a really tough spot. I think that's where the, the edge of the wilderness, the edge of the desert, uh, felt like to the children of Israel. Why are we here? But the name of the place says, with them. God is with them. And so we can grab hold of the fact to say, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, God is with us. And if I don't hurry up, I thought this was going to be short. If I don't hurry up, I want to get to my very, very favorite part. So we're going to jump ahead uh, real quick to, chapter, to verses 21 and 22. Sorry, I, I didn't realize I was talking so long. Maybe it was because of Jeremy coming up here. I don't know. <laughs> and the Lord said, this is verse 21, The Lord went before them by day with a pillar of cloud to lead, them, lead the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. Um, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the, pil- the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. How do you know God's will for your life? How do you know what God's will is for your life? Everybody has that question and everybody asks, asks that question, wants to know how do we know? First of all, when I was a kid and, and saw this in, the, in a flanagram, what it ended up being was this little cloud out in the distant future someplace, and the children of Israel are trying to figure out which way the cloud is going so I can follow it. That's not really what really happened. Now, we're talking about millions of people. So this was a huge cloud that, that was over top of them that gave them shade. Pretty easy to figure out then what God's will for them, how they wanted to go, right? What's the desert like during the day? Hot. And so the cloud gives them shade. And so if you wander away from the cloud, you're not going with the Lord once, it gets hot. You go right back under the cloud again, right? The cloud goes north, you go north. If it goes west, you go west. 
Pretty easy, right? I also relate it to, uh, if you're from Pennsylvania or New Jersey, you know what Jersey barriers are. You see them all the time. You just probably don't call them that. But when you go to a construction site and they got those concrete things, right? You don't have to ask, how do I go? It's built a path. And you follow that path, right? God's will, I think, a lot of times builds uh, Jersey barriers for me. And I go where it's comfortable. Yeah, when you go through construction side, you can take your car and ram those uh, concrete barriers. They will move. You'll do a lot of damage to your car. And you'll probably end up going someplace you wish you hadn't. But it is possible to do. It's the same thing with God's will. You can fight against God's will. It's just not very comfortable. So instead... The cloud by day or the Jersey barrier, whichever you want, isn't it neat that, that God's will for us is just comfortable? Um, there's a quote. I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead here. There's a quote uh, that uh, St. Augustine has reported saying, I did not uh, hear him say this, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but but the, what he said is, love God and then do whatever you please. Right? Now that sounds like that gives us a license to sin and do whatever, but that's not really what he's saying is, is that love God and then do what you please because God does this. He didn't know, uh, St. Augustine didn't know the phrase catch 22, right? Uh, the movie was not out by then. Um, but it's really a catch 22, right? I do what I please, but it turns out God's changed my heart. So the things that I want to do are the things that he wants me to do anyway. So I do what I please. He just kind of chuckles and says, yeah, but I, want, I made you want to do that anyway, right? Uh, but do what's comfortable. You got a cloud by day, Jersey barriers, um, or just literally do what God lays on your heart and the mystery is over. He does the same thing at night. What do you do at night? You put up a, a pillar of fire. For whatever reason, whenever I uh, hear the term pillar of fire, uh, I think of you, they're all over California. You see them occasionally here, um, but they have, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, what's, what's the restaurant that we went through for uh, Live to Serve? Um, oh, 110 Grill. 110 Grill, at least down in, uh, in Stratum has them. Um, they're tall, uh, clear, and they shoot flames all the way up at the top, right? You go to California, it's tough when you go to California because sometimes in the evening it gets cold. 65 degrees, 60 degrees. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And so they had them all over the place. But you know what? Nobody sits at the tables where those pillar of fire are not. Right? Nobody sits there. Everybody sits all over by where those, those pillars of fire are at. Right? Just makes sense. It's warm. You don't want your food to get cold. cold. I mean, 60 degrees, it's a trial. Um, <laughs> But, but right, it, and it's the same thing with what God did with the children of Israel. If you're in the desert at night, what happens? It gets cold. And so he has a, this pillar of fire. Now, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how big it was. I don't know if it reached over top of them, whatever. But it became real obvious. Um, where does God want me to go? Oh, there's the pillar of fire. If I walk away from it, it gets cold. I'm going to come right back there and follow that pillar of fire, just like in our lives. Um, Matthew, we don't have to go to these. Matthew 11.30 says, you know this verse, my burden is easy, my load is light. Right? That's what God's saying is that this is easy. Don't stress over it. Don't make it bigger than it is. 
Follow what your heart says, what I lay on your heart. Ezekiel 44, we don't think of it necessarily this way. 44 verse 17 says, Be clothed in linen, linen garments, not wool. Why? Well, because linen garments breathe and you don't perspire. Uh, They're not itchy. It's nice, comfortable uh, clothes. Why not wool? Well, wool's scratchy. Wool tends to make you perspire. Um, It's hot. It's just uncomfortable. Uh, So it's the same thing. What does God want you to do? Well, what's comfortable? That's that's probably what he wants you to do. Um, And sometimes we think of pillar of fire as trials. And so we talked about this uh, last night. Um, Sometimes what God does is put pillar of fire up uh, to, to cause us to go a different way, right? Again, going back to those, that restaurant idea, if I was walking into a restaurant and there was one pillar of fire in the walkway, I probably wouldn't walk into it because I know it's hot and I know it hurts, right? It's the same thing with God. Sometimes God puts things in our path that are pillars of fire that may hurt. Why? To cause us to change our direction to where he wants us to, to go. Sometimes it's to our blessing. Um, John Corson, if, if anybody's ever listened to John Corson, uh, John Corson's one of my favorites. Uh, I just love the guys out of Oregon. Uh, phenomenal, in my opinion, a phenomenal teacher. Also at times uh, just hysterical. Uh, he tells a story about uh, when he was uh, a teenager and there was a young lady, she was a Christian, a young lady at, at the school that he was very interested in. Um, they dated a couple of times, and then she broke it off, and it broke his heart. And he said, he begged God, change her heart. I mean, I want this lady. Change her heart so that we can be together. Then the 20th class reunion came along, and he said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's just God's perfect will for our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the the routines, the traditions that you have set up, not only for the children of Israel, but that you set up for us. And thank you, Lord, for the traditions that that we enjoy. Uh, Sunrise service, Easter services, Good Friday services, Pentecost, uh, Christmas, so on and so forth, uh, that maybe the world doesn't get the significance of, but it's a reminder to us of the great and wonderful things that you've done, the overwhelming things that you've done for us. Lord, uh, particularly in this week, help us to remember that, Lord, uh, freedom, the freedom that we enjoy, did not come without a price. It was a heavy price that you paid for our freedom, for our redemption. And, Lord, we want to be forever grateful for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.